Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. And today, we're going to tell you a story that is pretty well known and famous in Indiana. It actually got a lot of news coverage, and I can imagine it's pretty well known across the country at this point. Yeah. So this is the story of a double murder in a small town in Indiana called Delphi. So we just want to give a quick shout out to Paul Palefell at Prickly Polka Dot Boutique as he reached out to us on social media and he is going to be sending us some shirts with our logo on it. Um, go check out his boutique. They do shirts and they make tops, shoes, dresses, leggings, sunglasses, graphic tees, purses, you name it, they pretty much sell it. So go check out their website. They have some really cool things and they can make customized t-shirts. Yeah, Eric, I went and checked out the website and it's definitely very, um, I would say almost like a modern boutique. And I'm super stoked that he was kind enough to make us some shirts and send them our way. So thank you to Paul Palefail. So pour yourself a strong cup of joe, preferably with some good creamer, and let's dive in. We would like to give a brief warning before jumping into this episode as it deals with violent acts against young children. We will not be going into extreme detail outside of what is necessary to tell the story. We would advise listener caution for this episode. Delphi is a small town in Indiana, just a little ways away from Indianapolis, that contains about 3,000 people. It's mostly a farming area, and it's one of those towns that everyone says is super safe and nothing ever happens, but we've heard that so many times, and I feel like every time we hear that, it's in one of these cases. It really is. It just kind of, it's a sad truth that I don't think any place is really that safe. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the towns they left their doors unlocked, their kids wandered all over the place and could go wherever without parent supervision. Uh, and everybody just felt super safe. And I mean, a lot like where we grew up, which I think we've said before on here, you know, the unlocking of the doors, I think, is a really good component of it. You know what I mean? That really tells that you're very trusting. And I don't know that you should always be trusting of a community just because all it takes is one bad person. So Kelsey German, which is the older sister of one of the girls in this case, has done multiple interviews. And in one of her interviews, she talked about how everything was super small and she ended up graduating with only 96 people in her class, which we can relate to, too. I mean, we only had a little over 100 people in our class. So I can relate to the small town aspect. So our story today is about Abigail Joyce Williams, who was age 13 at the time and went by Abby, and Liberty Rose Lynn German, who was 14 at the time and went by Libby. Abby's mom, Anna, described her as a very happy child, saying that she was very artistic, and her mom talked all the time about a cat that Abby saved. It was a stray cat, and she convinced her mom to keep it and had this way over her that... Even though her mom was allergic, her mom still agreed to keep the cat, which I think every kid kind of has that power in them. They just have to find it and be able to use it. Oh, yeah. I'm relating to her so much right now because we know I love to bring a cat home that doesn't need to be there. And your mom hates it every time. <laughs> I can't help it. So 
Abby loved to spend time outside and be super active. She made rubber band bracelets and other crafts for her friends. Like I said, she was super artistic and was always crafting. So around the time of our story, Abby had started knitting hats for newborn babies and donating them to the local hospital, which I'm going to post a picture of that on our social media, but I just think that that is one of the sweetest things ever because she's using this free time that she really doesn't have because she's involved in a lot of things at school to make these cute little hats for babies. Abby enjoyed playing volleyball and through her best friend Libby, she developed a interest in softball as well. Abby also loved to take photos and this was something that she kind of got from her mom. So she would always take her mom's camera and be seen taking photos everywhere she went. Libby had lived with her grandparents as they had been her guardians since she was three years old. She really enjoyed science and solving crimes. She even took some classes through Purdue University to really secure that this was something that she wanted to major in in the future. Which is an insane thing to do at that age. She must have been very smart and intelligent. Yes, she was. Her parents said that Libby was pretty mature, but you always knew when she was home because she would come in and throw her backpack, shoes, and jacket, and everything, and just spread out. So it'd be at the door or all over the kitchen, kind of like my friend Abby over here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm relating to these girls a lot right now. (laughs) Yes. So one of the things that Libby loved to do was bake cookies. That was her specialty. So every time she would come home from school, she was always baking some sort of cookies. And she would always make sure to save some for her grandpa because he would get home from work later than everybody else. And to make sure that they didn't eat them all, she would always save some aside, which I think just kind of goes to show how kind she was and how much she cared about like other people. Yeah, sounds like both of the girls are very considerate of others around them. Well, and there's more about Libby. So Libby loved to leave little sticky notes for people to encourage them. So there's actually a sticky note that she left for her grandma that says, I love you. Thank you for everything you do for me and Kels. Signed, Libby. And I just think that that's super cute. She would give them to friends, family, teachers, anybody who she felt like needed some sort of encouragement. Her grandpa also recalls a time in talks about it, where he gave her $10 for something at school that she needed. And she ended up calling him and asking if she could give it to another student who needed it more than she did. And I just think that that's another attribute that goes to showing how kind she really was. Libby loved to play softball and really preferred to play first base. And Libby and Abby had been best friends forever, and they both shared the love of photography. So, They both really enjoyed art and sports and music. They were also both in their middle school band together and played alto saxophone. So they were always together and they had that personality that kind of balanced each other out perfectly. So Abby was known for being super shy and quiet and Libby was known for being outspoken and loud. So on Monday, February 13th, 2017, Abby and Libby had the day off of school. I'm not sure what that was for. Did you know or happen to come across that? It sounded to me like it was just like a teacher in service Mm -hmm. day and it just fell on that day. So the night before, they'd had a sleepover at Libby's house and spent the night hanging out, painting, watching movies and eating pizza. Typical girl sleepover stuff, I would say. 
Exactly. I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Libby's older sister, Kelsey, was also there hanging out with them and spending time with them. It sounds like she was pretty close with Libby and Abby as well. Yeah, it sounds like she kind of was always involved and not just that older sister, but also like another best friend. In the morning, the girls got up and had some banana pancakes for breakfast that Libby's dad had made them, which, you know, I'm not a banana person. (laughs) There's so many people that I feel like eat banana pancakes, and they're just not good. <laughs> <laughs> like a blueberry pancake, sure. <laughs> banana pancakes are so mushy. It's just, it's not my thing. It's its own thing. It that's is. for sure. Oh, yeah. After the girls ate breakfast, they practiced some softball they were planning on playing on the same team the following year together, or that summer, I guess it would have been. It sounds like... They did a lot together, whether it be sports, you said band, and they spent all their free time together. They were, yeah, it's, they were pretty much inseparable at this time, which reminds me of my best friend when I was that age, Whitney. Her and I were together all the time, and we did a bunch of activities together at school and everything, and if you couldn't find me, I was at Whitney's. I definitely do think girls around that age tend to pair off with friends and really click together you know what i mean exactly well a last minute decision for them but they decided they were gonna go to the monon high bridge which was an abandoned railroad bridge and like a little hiking area i think in delphi and they were gonna go there and explore take some pictures and kelsey who was 17 libby's sister said that she'd drop them off so she drove them over there around 145 and dropped them off and with plans for Libby's dad to pick them up in a couple hours. At 2.07 p.m., Libby posted a Snapchat on her story, and it had showed Abby walking across the railroad bridge. And this was one of the bridges that, when you look it up, they say you shouldn't walk across it. And I think it was Abby's mom who said that the first thing she thought when she saw it was, Abby is grounded for walking across that bridge. <laughs> yeah, I did. I remember watching that clip. That was her first thing was, nope, you are not supposed to be on there. Yep. And, you know, we'll provide a link. I found pictures of a a guy who went and visited something in that area. So he went and took a bunch of photos. The bridge is sketchy. It's old. It's kind of decaying. It's exactly the kind of thing I would have done at age 13 or 14. <laughs> well, it reminds me of the trestle in our hometown. Yeah, I definitely spent some time there. And, you know, it's a fun thing and kids, you know, they like to do stuff like that. But ultimately, it's not the safest Looking move. back on that, I don't know how none of us fell off of that. And it's probably better if people just don't do that. <laughs> Either way, it's where they decide to spend the day. And around here in Indiana, there's not a lot of really scenic stuff to do. So anything in the woods is really how you're going to get your nature fix. So... I'm sure that was probably one of the more popular areas for people in that general area to visit. Well, and I saw that it was like a place that a lot of people went to take like photos before prom and stuff. And I know that the girls went out there to take photos. Yeah, I remember you saying that they're into photography. So I'm sure that's what their plan was. So like I said, Libby's dad was going to pick them up around 3.30 and he called them when he was on their way and they had not answered and he gets there and they were a no-show they weren't waiting for him so he thought maybe they were just being teenage girls kind of taking their time maybe not really watching the the clock or that their phone had died or Uh, 
you that know. they had lost their phone. I mean, there were all kinds of things going through his head, but I don't think the outcome that actually happened crossed his mind at all. No, I don't think he expected anything very bad or, you know, maybe even thinking one of them would be tripped and got hurt or something and they were just probably getting slow getting back. You know, I've definitely fell in the woods a couple of times and busted my ankle or whatnot and well, and they were so close with each other that I think if one of them had fallen and gone hurt, the other one probably wouldn't have left. Agreed. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. By 4.30 p.m., they started to get a little worried, and the family, other family members came out, and they started to walk the trails and kind of search for the girls, and soon after that, they called the police. Like, very shortly, police were on the scene looking as well. There was a very quick turnaround time for it, which I love to hear. I love when police, you know, sometimes you hear the stories where they're like, oh, maybe they just ran away, or they're not concerned enough to go check it out. That's not the case in this situation. They were instantly there searching and they did the best they could, but it started to get dark and there was, you know, no sign of them. And I saw that they searched until like midnight and unfortunately did not find any sign of them. Yeah. So at this point, police weren't suspecting foul play. They were just assuming that the girls were somewhere in the woods and that they would find them. So on February 14th, they get out early in the morning around 7 a.m. and they're searching the trails again. Tons of people in the community volunteered to help with the search. And Kelsey German talked about this in her video, how nice it was to see the entire community come together and go out and spend their day searching for the girls. So Drones and dogs were brought in to help search. There was a dive team that was searching the water near the bridge. They were just looking everywhere. And they were trying to track their cell phones, but the police just thought that the phones had been turned off after they went missing. I did read that Libby's phone was pinging off of two towers, but Kelsey talked about that in one of her videos as well. And she said that because it was such a small town, you could step over like a foot and your phone would be pinging off of a different tower. Yeah, I think in one of them, she even said on one side of her house, she'd ping on one tower and on the other would be the other tower. So it wasn't that strange. Yeah, so people thought, oh, well, they're in two different places, but it wasn't that. It was just she moved a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, the police couldn't find them through the tracking of the phones. And so they just it looked as if they'd been turned off. So a woman said that she had been near the bridge just shortly after the girls had gone missing. And she said that there was nothing out of the ordinary. So it would have been just minutes after the girls had posted that Snapchat story. This woman was there and it seemed completely normal. So at that point, they were already gone from the bridge. Yeah. And if you remember, the Snapchat was, at, I think it was 2.07 p.m. And the dad was there by 3.30 p.m. So that's only about an hour and a half I mean, less than an hour and a half that 
something happened critical in those moments. Yes. So around noon, they were still searching for the girls. And about half a mile from the bridge, a volunteer found a shoe and then also found the bodies of Abby and Liberty. The bodies were found on the edge of a property line owned by Ron Logan. And authorities at first just don't talk about the identities of the girls. They notify the family, but they're kind of trying to keep it hush-hush for a minute. I think that's just to kind of figure out what's going on and decide what they're actually dealing with here. Yeah, and you mentioned the owner of the property, Ron Logan. I don't think they really thought he was involved. They did do a search warrant and checked out the area and he said he was buying tropical fish at the time i'm not really sure how to even respond to that one (laughs) that seems like an odd thing to be doing but to each their own he ultimately did not have any charges facing the deaths of abby and libby he had some other issues for traffic violations but nothing too major Yeah. So uh, Ron was actually super helpful and would answer all the questions and let the police search his property as much as they wanted. He wasn't one of those people who was like, this is my property, get off without a warrant. He was actually helpful even before they had the warrant. Well, I know like in the Brandon Lawson case, there were some people who owned land in that area where he disappeared and they didn't want people searching through it. And I can only imagine it's Actually, I don't even know why. Would it be because they didn't want them disturbing anything? Or are they scared they're going to find something? I am always a skeptical. And I'm just that person that thinks that if you're... Like, in that case, I would assume that they have something to hide. They probably don't. It could just be the fact that they don't want people searching their property. But I've always, I'm always just kind of like, if you don't have something to hide, like, why are you being so protective of it? But they are exercising their right to their property and well i'll tell you what though especially with some of the wrongful convictions you cover it happens where things get pinned on you when you're not involved and that could possibly one of the be one of the things going through people's minds as well yeah absolutely i mean there's so many different things that could be they don't want i mean when they do a search sometimes they're digging up your entire backyard and they Typically, we'll put it back together, but they don't always do that right away. So I can understand, I guess, why you wouldn't want to. But also in a situation where somebody's missing and their life is at risk or or they were found dead and they just want to know, like, if you're not involved in that, why not be willing to help a little bit? Personally, I would help out the best I could, but everybody's their own person and they have their own thought processes and like i said it's their right to decline that and if they want to exercise that then that is their choice and can't really do anything about it on february 15th the indiana state police and carroll county sheriff's department announced that the bodies they found were officially abby and libby and that they had been murdered however they did not release a manner of death And then this is when they released that famous photo that I think really blew up the case and made it so popular. It's a man who was seen on the trail around the time of the girls' disappearances. And and Libby actually took a photo of this guy on her phone. And I think the general belief is that she took a photo of him because she was nervous about who he was and that likely he is the one who murdered them. 
Yeah, so Libby was actually really into like true crime and stuff. And so they believe that because of her interest in true crime, she knew that she should take a photo of this man because she just had this feeling in her gut that something wasn't right. It's a very smart move. That's, I mean, if you're ever in a situation like that, I think it is a good thing to do just in case. But the photo is of a man walking on the bridge. He's wearing jeans and a blue jacket and a tan hat, it looks like. We'll obviously post this on our social media. But if you know the case at all, you've seen the photo. It's a very famous photo. Yeah. And you can see him walking with his hands in his pockets. And at this time, the police identified him as a person of interest, not as a suspect, but saying they wanted to know more. Abby, can you define what the difference between a person of interest and a suspect is? Yeah, so a person of interest is this, it's somebody that investigators want to talk to because they might have some type of knowledge of what happened in the crime. And a suspect is someone who likely has something to do with the crime. So a person of interest could even just be like a witness who they think maybe saw something, you know, no one who... It's not as extreme, I would say. Yeah, if you're labeled as a person of interest, it's not something to be, like, scared of or, like, immediately concerned. Like, oh, no, they think I did it. It just means you might have information that could help further the investigation. Yes. So then on February 22nd, police released the video footage and the audio that came from Libby's cell phone, which, once again, I mean, if you follow the case at all, you know of this release. So we're going to play that for you, and then... A couple times and just see what you guys hear. So, Abby, what what did you hear? I think you can hear him saying down the hill. Yeah. And I, I think it's very clear. And that is what police came out and they're like, we believe that he's saying down the hill. Yeah. And that audio and video clip actually came from Libby's cell phone. And it's a little muffled and shaky, but there's a lot of speculation around whether or not they have more video evidence and they're only sharing small bits with us yes so libby did a great job of trying to capture their potential killer on video so the police also said and they didn't release it but they said that they found a video on the girl's phone um of them talking to each other about how there was this man following them and that's why they were videoing him so the man in this photo and in this video was following them enough to scare these two girls and Let's be honest, when you're 13 and 14, how aware of your surroundings are you? Yeah, I think he was, he had to have been a certain amount of creepy for them to be like, we're going to talk about this, we're trying to video it. Something inside them was telling them things aren't right, things aren't normal. Yeah, absolutely. So they were trying to protect themselves by getting this photo and video, and I honestly don't even know if this man realized that he was being videoed in the little clip they show us it doesn't look like it no no but i mean they have more video so Mm -hmm. i'm curious to know whether or not he discovered that he was being videoed yeah and well the down the hill part that's more of just an audio clip and i did read somewhere that they speculate maybe it was in one of the girls' pockets and they had it recording still but they just caught his voice so i don't know if he knew or not i mean I feel like if he did, he would have tried to dispose of the phone, so. Probably. That's why I don't think that he Mm -hmm. knew at the time. I mean, 
obviously he probably knows now. It'd be a little weird if he didn't know. But at this point, police put out a $41,000 reward for any information to lead to this man. Yeah, and they actually release a sketch of the suspect, I guess. I'm not sure if the sketch is just from witness testimonies. Are you? Do you know? Yeah, so I think that sketch is a, it's a little bit of both. I definitely can tell that, I mean, a lot of the characteristics in it, you can tell they pull from the video, the hat and the hair, and maybe the beard. But yeah, I think I would agree with that. At this point, with the sketch, they release some other information saying that he's a white male between 5'6 and 5'10, probably about 180 to 220 pounds, with reddish-brown hair and an unknown eye color. And they release all this in 2017, the year of the murders. So in September of that year, there was a man who, once again, if you follow the case, you probably heard this name. He is highly associated with it by people in the community. Daniel Nations was arrested in Colorado for having expired Indiana plates. And so they were calling him a person of interest. Once again, they just thought that he had some sort of information and they wanted to talk to him. Daniel was homeless at the time of the murders and lived two hours away. So I think the main reason people were kind of associating him with it was the fact that he looked so much like the sketch that they were putting out. We'll post a side-by-side photo of him in the sketch on our social media as well. But there was that. And then he had been charged with threatening people on a trail with a hatchet in Colorado. And I think that those two things combined, they were kind of like, huh, this guy seems a little suspicious. But even his wife came out and said that, that Daniel really did resemble the police sketch that they had released. But both of them said that he didn't own the jacket that was in the photo. So they didn't know how he would have gotten that. And he didn't have a car at the time of the murders. So his wife said that there was no way that he could have gotten the two hours to the the two hours to Delphi to commit this murder. He actually ends up getting transferred to Indiana and put in custody because he failed to register as a sex offender. And because of this, police are able to take his DNA. And a month later, police say he's not a suspect. So what I gather from that is they have DNA from the murders and it did not match. Yeah, which it was kind of lucky when he got arrested. So he was arrested in January 5th, 2018. And that was for the threatening of people on the trail. And then he was transferred to Indiana on January 24th. So it was just days after a new law came into place in Indiana that allowed police to take the DNA from anyone that has committed a felony without needing the search warrant or anything like that. They could just take it, which I personally think is great and something that could help solve a lot of cases if we're taking DNA from people that have committed felonies. It can help solve like different cold cases and things like that. I think the whole DNA thing is interesting in general because a lot of people are really against having their DNA on file and stuff, but, and I don't know exactly where I stand, but if we had everyone's DNA, do you know how many cases would be solved already? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can understand why we don't do that, because that's a little invasive, right? But it really, well, we see it a lot with the new genealogy thing and people submitting their DNA for ancestry and finding, solving cases through that. And I just think it's really cool. And I wonder if there's a way to 
volunteer that kind of help, I guess. So say they have places where you could just volunteer your DNA to like, so they could put it in a database and use that. Because obviously you're not going to give your DNA if you've committed a crime, right? But there's the DNA that you find through relation with people. Yeah, that's how the April Marie Tinsley case in Fort Wayne, Indiana was solved was because a sibling or a cousin or something of the man that actually committed the murder submitted their DNA to the genealogy testing and they were able to test that and find out that John D. Miller was the one that had actually committed the crime many years ago. Another person who came to light was Charles Andrew Eldridge. He's 46 years old, and on January 8th of 2019, he was taken into custody. He had actually arranged a meeting to have sex with a police officer who had been posing as a teenage girl. So, big no-no. That makes you a little suspicious in a lot of things, but... People looked at his mugshot and were instantly like... He looks just like the Delphi sketch. So also, I don't think I said this, he was taken into custody in Union City, Indiana. So he's not far. And the mugshot, I mean, I can see a resemblance. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I don't always see the same thing when we're (laughs) looking at these. But I definitely see it. The only thing that I see that I immediately like stands out to me, I guess. I guess there's two things. One... His ears are a lot bigger than what's in the sketch. Yeah. Like, a lot bigger. But it's a sketch. It's not going to be 100% perfect. And then, and he's got bigger cheeks and, like, a bigger chin than what is in the sketch. In the sketch, it's a little bit more of a defined jawline. And then in his photo, I wouldn't say it's as defined. But... And I'm not sure what his weight is, but... It might be higher than the 180 to 220 they were talking about earlier. It kind of looks like it, but it's kind of hard to also judge that just from looking at this photo. I agree. And he does look a little older than the photo as well, or the sketch. Yeah, but they also say that the guy could be anywhere between the ages of 18 and 40, which is the widest range ever. And, you know, there's people who are like 60 and look 40. You know what I mean? Like, age is so irrelevant in terms of looking at someone like you can get a general idea but everybody's different everybody looks different and age is different well Um, and everybody looks different depending on the person like some people come up to me and think i'm still a kid and then other people come up to me and think i'm in my 30s yeah and then i guess there's that few people that are like oh and they can actually guess my age but anyway with Charles Eldridge, the police did eventually come forward and say that there was no evidence that he had any connection to the case. And so they pretty much cleared his name. And if he was in custody for what he did, I can imagine they probably had his DNA as well. Oh, probably. Flash forward to April 22nd, 2019, and the Indiana State Police have a press conference where they're going to go in a new direction with the investigation and they release a new sketch a little video clip and some extended audio and we'll actually play a little bit from the press conference for you guys so you can hear it and kind of know what we're talking about During the course of this investigation, we have concluded the first sketch released will become secondary as of today. 
The result of the new information and intelligence over time leads us to believe the sketch, which you will see shortly, is the person responsible for the murders of these two little girls. We also believe this person is from Delphi, currently or has previously lived here, visits Delphi on a regular basis, or works here. We believe this person is currently between the age range of 18 and 40, but might appear younger than his true age, directly to the killer who may be in this room. We believe you are hiding in plain sight. For more than two years, you never thought we would shift gears to a different investigative strategy, but we have. We likely have interviewed you or someone close to you. We know that this is about power to you, and you want to know what we know. And one day, you will. A question to you. What will those closest to you think of? They find out that you brutally murdered two little girls, two children. Only a coward would do such a thing. We are confident that you have told someone what you have done. Or at the very least, they know because of how different you are since the murders. All right, Eric, let's talk about some of the new stuff. First off, the sketch. It's a whole new sketch. Completely. I think I can see similarities and maybe it's like a younger version of the first sketch. But I remember because I've been following this case and I know you have too when they released it and us along with a lot of people were like, oh, it's just so like shockingly different. I think at first glance it is when you first look at it, it's like a completely different person. But when you start to look at the individual features, you can definitely see similarities. I think the nose is pretty similar. The structure of like the jawline is pretty similar. The eyes are similar. I see a lot in the eye like structure. How the eyes like they're almost angled down a little bit. Like he's got a prominent brow ridge, I guess, is how I'm seeing it. And he's got these like almost sleepy eyes, which I think like is droopy eyes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's similar to the first photo in that sense. It still looks like a pretty solid person, like and by that, I mean, like, not like a scrawny, you know what I mean? Like a, like a well-built. Yeah, well-built. Well built. Yeah, is what I'm trying to get at. He looks like, I mean, and it makes sense if he was able to overpower two girls. Well, also, if he's from Delphi, which they believe that he was, as mm-hmm. they said, or that he's from the area, that's a farming community. And most farmers are pretty well-built. And even, I mean, their children are well-built because they help with chores. So... I could see this being somebody that is from the area. What I find creepy and interesting is that they said that he's hiding in plain sight. They've probably interviewed him or somebody close to him. And there's a chance that he's even in the room. I know they really think it's somebody who's basically getting off on the power of knowing that they can't find him and he's still there. And I think that speaks a lot to the kind of person they're looking for without directly saying it. You know, a lot of times people think someone commits a murder and then they just like go into hiding or move away, which, you know, would be a solid move for someone trying not to get caught. But a lot of for a lot of murderers, this is part of the thrill of it for them is that they are in control in their own head. Yeah, I think that he's definitely I could see it being somebody that is following the case closely. And I just feel like somebody out there knows something and they're just not coming forward with it because it's been over two years now and there's no way that this person hasn't even either spoke about the case or changed enough that I feel like somebody 
just kind of gets this little feeling in their gut and they're just not 100% sure. Because, I mean, if I had a feeling that somebody I knew had done something like this, I would definitely maybe hesitate to come forward with it in case I was wrong. Yeah, you don't want to throw that accusation on someone. And with it being such a small town and community, I just don't see how there's not someone who knows him, especially if he's at the lower end of that age range. That's more like, I mean, you know everyone through high school and school, right? So someone went to school with him in this small community. Mm -hmm. And part of me wonders if it's somebody who maybe had social media and then all of a sudden fell off the radar because he was trying not to be caught. But he also could be doing just reverse psychology and not have switched up at all and just keep going about his daily life. But I feel like after this, it has to change that person just a little bit in the press conference i remember him mentioning that you like you know it's him because of how different they might have acted in the past two years since the murder and i think that's interesting to reevaluate people around you kind of see if oh maybe their demeanor did change and they also release it goes with the photo clip they originally showed us of him walking but now it's a little tiny clip of him walking a couple steps you know and they talk about to look at his, how he walks and how he holds himself while still acknowledging that he's on like a bridge with the gas. So and his stuff. steps are not going to be 100% accurate to his normal gait. Yeah, but it's interesting. Even that small, tiny clip, he's, you could tell he's got a specific walk. He's kind of walking with his hands in his pockets. He's kind of slumped a little bit, I would say. And part of me wonders, and this is something that you and I have talked about, Abby, is like, why aren't they releasing more of the footage? And then I started to think as I watched it this last time, what if they're not releasing the footage because that's what they have? What if after that she put her phone in her pocket and everything else is just black and all they have is that audio? Because what they did give us was a little bit more of the audio clip where it sounds like and what they think is him saying guys and then it kind of shuffles and it goes down the hill. And I think you can hear his voice fairly clearly enough that if you knew who he was, I think you'd be able to recognize it. I mean, yeah, because the voice that you're hearing on the video clip is probably similar to the voice that you'd hear if you were talking to them on the phone mm-hmm. or even in person, people's voices are pretty similar on, to what they are on the phone and cl- audio, but they there is a little bit of a difference. So I can't help but wonder, I feel like somebody out there, I mean, he's not a random stranger that just came out of nowhere. He's somebody that has a mother or a father or siblings or friends or a girlfriend or wife or maybe he even has kids of his own but there's somebody out there that knows this man and probably has a close relationship with him yeah and another thing i've noticed too that i think is something that is a little different from the first sketch yes the first sketch he's wearing a hat but the hair is different and the first one it's like little wispies like thin This second sketch, it looks like he's got pretty full wavy hair. Which I know that I talked to you about this because I said in the photo, I wasn't sure that he was even wearing a hat. I said that he had the hair like that. And then they announced it. And I mean, I'm pretty sure it's a hat. I think they're emphasizing his hair in that second sketch because there's detail to how far it sticks out. And, you know, they drew in waves and curls. Yeah, this is one where they actually had a good sketch artist. Because we've seen some where the sketch artists aren't amazing. And it kind of throws you off. But I think that this one is a 
pretty good sketch of whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Police also say that there was a car or a vehicle parked by the bridge, the entrance at um, an abandoned building, and they were looking for any information with that. Like if somebody had parked there that day and they know it was their car or if they'd seen it and they were wanting people to come forward with that as well. What I find interesting though with that is it's been two and a half years and nobody's come forward saying, yeah, that was me that was parked there. Mm -hmm. Which really makes you think that the person that was parked there doesn't want to be found. And it's one of the case these cases Mm -hmm. that are so publicized and so heard about. I feel like somebody would have if they weren't involved and had just parked there, would have been like, oh, yeah, I was there that day. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel. But then again, like, I talked to a couple different people about this case while we were prepping it. Mm-hmm. And there were people that I would mention it, and they were like, what is that? And so there are people out there that don't know about it. Yeah, But I, I feel like if you're parking there, you're probably from the area or something, and everybody in the area would have known mm-hmm. about this. When we talked about this last time, you know, people follow and listen to what they want to follow and listen to and in our minds we're like this is such a publicized case but there's probably people around here who don't know what it is I could probably name a couple who don't and you know that's one of the things I really I think is important about crime podcast is that it is raising awareness and people are talking about it and raising the conversation yeah I think I mean that's one of our main goals of the podcast Mm -hmm. is to really just get the information out there and to try to find justice for the families which is why we tend to do a lot of cold cases. Yeah, cold cases, unsolved, mysterious ones, you know, where it's not so cut and dry. They found the person there in prison, which I do think it's important to tell those people's stories as well. I just think we do tend to lean towards that because, I mean, I want that, like, for the families Mm -hmm. and people involved. Something that's interesting watching the press conferences is how much Douglas Carter, he's one of the Indiana State Police, the superintendent, you can tell he is so invested. He was like holding back tears during it. Another person, her Libby's sister, Kelsey, she is so involved. She's a huge advocate mm -hmm. for what is going on with her sister's case. She's done countless interviews and YouTube videos and live streams to address different rumors and things like that. She runs a Twitter page that is one that you guys should follow because it's absolutely... I mean, she's always posting things about the case. She'll post updates. She posts about other cases other than just her sisters. So other unsolved cases. Her Twitter username is at Liberty G underscore sister. So if you guys want to go and follow her and just really show support for her, I think that would be helpful because she is dedicating so much of her time to finding her sister's killer. Yeah, and it takes it takes such a strong person to be able to confront that every single day. And I, you know, I commend her for doing it. And I can also understand the other side where families have a hard time reliving that every day, you know, and yeah, they might want justice, but they just mentally cannot keep up with it. And I can understand either way. And it's very, um, it's great to see Kelsey really being the strong person, strong woman she is and doing all that she can. Yeah. And she actually, after everything that happened to her sister, she changed her direction of what she wanted to go to college for. And she's now working with families that are victims of situations like this. She's on that side as an advocate for those families, which I think is one of those I mean it's one of those things where something good comes out of something bad and it's always 
nice to see things like that happen. Yeah. So since that new press conference, I know they've gotten a ton of tips and calls and people, you know, trying to give what they can. And we really haven't heard a lot more from it since then, except for the big blow up that had in July when there was another possible suspect that people thought could be connected. Erica, do you want to kind of tell that story? Yeah, so Paul Etter was the next person that they really looked at for this case. And so most of you probably have heard of him. You may not have, but he was very connected to the Delphi case. And it was all over the news. So on June 22nd, a 26-year-old woman was driving home in Tippecanoe County, and she realized that she had a flat tire. So around 4.30 in the morning, she pulled into the driveway of Paul Etter, and he came out and asked her if she needed help, but she immediately felt this feeling like in her gut that he wasn't somebody that she should be around, and she just didn't feel safe. So she said that she didn't need help, and she pulled out of his driveway and started driving down the road the rest of the way because her friend's house was just down the road. So Paul Etter actually ended up following her as she drove to her friend's house, and he followed her into the drive and attacked her. He handcuffed her and forced her into his car, leaving her vehicle at her friend's house. Then he drove her to his family's property where he sexually assaulted her for five hours and then ended up returning her back to her vehicle. So this woman was actually able to identify who the man was that had attacked her because he had taken her well, he had started at her his house and then taken her back to her vehicle. She was able to direct police to him and they were able to find him. And so five days later on June 27th, there was a five-hour police standoff where Paul Etter actually ended up killing himself at the end of it. Yeah, this story absolutely gutted me when I heard it because it was just so such like a misfortune that his driver was the one she pulled into and it just, it destroyed me. I think they connected him because he had attacked a, a girl or a woman in the same general area. And if you look at his a photo, which was a previous mugshot, I believe, he kind of looks like the original sketch. He does. He actually really even looks like the photo and video. Yeah. Just add a hat. I agree. It's enough that people instantly picked up on it and it became this huge thing on whether or not they were connected for me i don't know if i see it well let's talk about the differences just in the crime itself i people don't tend to de-escalate so he goes from killing two female two young girls teenagers Mm -hmm. to then picking up a 26 year old woman raping her for five hours so taking his time and bringing her back to her vehicle alive yeah it's definitely like you said a de-escalation and there's a big age gap i mean a 13 or 14 year old girl is very different than a 26 year old girl and and you mentioned the time spent with her as well and i think it's definitely a different time frame than the murders of abby and libby which happened within like an hour period yeah hour hour and a half Well, and I think you'd almost assume that an hour because whoever did it was gone by the time that they were looking for them. Investigators haven't 
announced Eder as a suspect or cleared him as a suspect. I know that they requested his autopsy results, but we haven't heard anything else from that. Yeah, so Carroll County Sheriff Toby Lesenby said, quote, I would caution folks on not getting ramped up on just one certain individual because of his recent attention because of what he's done, end quote. So I think that there's always that possibility that maybe he did have something to do with it but i don't think that police want us focusing on him from how they talked in their statements for me it sounded a little bit like they're leaning more towards him not being responsible for the murders so real quick before we kind of wrap up the end of the episode i just want to talk about a few random things that i know erica and i have talked about prior and read into you know we always love to look at other people's thoughts and ideas on it and there's definitely some speculation around if one person could have committed these murders and subdued the girls. Yeah, I kind of, I don't know, I go back and forth. I kind of feel like maybe there could have been two people involved just because it was two teenage girls that they were taking. But there's also just that possibility that one of the girls had been attacked and the other one just didn't want to leave her side. And so she just stayed. Or it's, I mean, he has some type of weapon and says, if you run, I will kill her. She's, I mean. They're young. And that's exactly what I would expect. I mean, if me and you were in that situation, I wouldn't do anything. I'd probably stay too. Because it just seems so, I mean, I would want you to leave, obviously, if it were reversed. But could you? I mean, I think it'd be very hard to just be like, sucks to suck. I'm out. I realize you're going to get killed, but at least I'll get away. And, you know, in hindsight, that's probably the better way because at least one person survives. But it's that's a tough situation. Situation that no one should ever have to be in. Especially two young girls like them. It's it's a sad one. And I think that's a big reason it's caught so much um, public attention and media attention is because it's sad that something so horrific can happen to two young girls who don't even get into trouble and really live lead great lives another thing i found that had to do with it possibly being one killer is i guess it had it snowed a little bit prior to that day the february 13th in 2017 and then it warmed up as it does in (laughs) indiana right now as we're recording i think it snowed like four inches a week and a half two weeks ago and it's sunny and like 50 right now (laughs) but welcome to indiana yeah it's uh, a little crazy but they're talking about how it would have been muddy down there and maybe the tracks led them to believe it was one killer because the cops never really released saying they're looking for more than one yeah that i mean and that's something that we've talked about too i mean they probably would have released two sketches if there was a second killer and there's the cops haven't released much about the crime scene at all that's a big thing about this case i think they're not hiding, but they're keeping back a lot of information. We don't even really know the manner in which the girls were murdered or the cause of death. And I think they're doing that so that if they ever find or when they find him, they can use that to connect it. Say, this was not publicly released. He knows this information. He knows something. They're just waiting for somebody to slip up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Which is probably the best way to ensure convicting the murderer. And you know, I'm behind it. It's a good, it's a good thing, but it's just leaves a lot of questions and speculation. And I think the families have gotten a lot of that. And I think that's why Kelsey talks so much about putting down the rumors and telling what's true and what's not. 
Yeah. And so Libby's older sister, Kelsey, like I said, she has that Twitter page, but she also has a YouTube video that you can watch that she did. It was a live stream. It's like an hour and a half, two hours long almost, where she kind of debunks a lot of the rumors. And so that's probably a good one for you to watch and listen to if you guys want more information. And like that's coming directly from her. So that would be, if you're reading other things, that would be a good place to kind of fact check. Because like I said, she is there to talk about what actually happened and not what the media is twisting. She at one point talked about how her dad hasn't really come forward, about how her and Liberty's biological dad hasn't really come forward with a lot of the stuff. Because at one point, somebody, some people were suspecting him of being involved in the killing, but he just hasn't come forward. And Kelsey defends him saying, quote, he doesn't talk because he knows that people will play a game of telephone with him. They will change our words. They twist our words all the time. And he doesn't want you guys to do that. So he just chooses not to speak, end quote. And that just makes perfect sense to me. Like, it's so sad that people are immediately just assuming that her dad had something to do with it. He's going through so much trauma right now. He just lost his daughter. And then there's people that want to go publicly online and say, eh, he probably did it. Like that, it's just heartbreaking to me because I can't imagine what that would feel like to go through the loss of your child and then also be condemned by people and society for something that you didn't do. I think if he was a suspect, the police would probably come forward and say, hey, he's a suspect. But They've already collected DNA from him. I mean, he's not a suspect. He's not anybody that they're looking at, which is why we didn't even cover him in our list of suspects. Yeah, I think you could conclude from the fact that they likely have DNA is that it's probably not somebody who is related to the girls. Yeah, exactly. Because then it's their biological dad. So there would be that DNA there that would connect it and they would have been able to solve it a little bit quicker. But thankfully, it's not him. So... They also released that sports complex is going to be built in memory of the girls. I'm not 100% sure when it's going to be done. I couldn't find anything saying that it is done, but there was an article in 2017 where they officially released the details of like what it was going to contain. So it's going to be a memorial park with softball field. It's going to cover about 21 acres in Delphi, and it's going to cost a lot around $1 million to build and then to maintain it. So it's going to have batting cages, an amphitheater, a playground, and three playing fields. They're also going to have a memorial path as well in the park. And I believe that that memorial path is not only going to be for Abby and Libby, but for other families as well and other victims. If you guys have any information or you recognize the sketch, the audio, the video, or any type of tips, you can call the tip line And you can give tips anonymously, as you can in most cases. And that number is 844-459-5786 or 1-800-225-5324. And then tips can also be emailed to Abby and Libby tip at C-A-C-O-S-H-R-F.com. And of course, we will have this information posted on our social media as well. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. 
If you would like to support us, go to anchor.fm forward slash Erica dash Abby. Donations to our podcast are greatly appreciated and go into making the podcast possible. If you like us, you can recommend us or give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us on your podcast listening medium. Thank you so much.